Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Over 700 years before the birth of Christ, God spoke these words through his prophet Isaiah. He has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. He poured out himself to death. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And immediately before the reading that we had today from Mark's Gospel, Jesus spoke these words, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And while Jesus is talking about all that he is about to do, that all that he is about to give his own life as a ransom Two disciples, James and John, come to him with a shopping list of all that they want to get from him. This is the third time that Jesus has predicted his death. He knows why he came. His death is the climax of his vocation. Make no mistake, death did not take Jesus by surprise. He came for this, and he sets his face to Jerusalem. Three times he predicts that this is what will happen. This is, he is going towards what he knew he came to do. It's not a surprise for him. And he sets his face like flint for Jerusalem. It was foretold by God over three quarters, over 750 years before Jesus' birth. God spoke through Isaiah and said that my Messiah will be a suffering servant. He will die on behalf of those he comes to save. And Jesus has been trying to explain this to his disciples since he asked them that question at Caesarea Philippi. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter 
understands and says, you are the Messiah. And immediately after that is Jesus' first prediction of his death. And what does Peter do? Forbid it, Lord. And Jesus has to chastise him. Get thee behind me, Satan. These words are not of you. And the next time he predicts that he is going to Jerusalem to die and on the third day be raised again, what is happening? Jesus, you get this idea that Jesus is kind of going ahead and all of the disciples are in a group behind him and they're on their way to Capernaum and he knows what they're talking about. They're all talking. He's just said he's going to Jerusalem to die and they're all talking about who's the greatest amongst them. And again, He needs to chastise them. And this time, he tells them a third time, we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be handed over, mocked, spat upon, tortured, crucified and on the third day rise again and what happens? James and John come to him secretly. Put us at your right and your left hand. Places of honour in earthly kingdoms Those who sat at the king's right and left hand had the supreme place of honor. They haven't got it. They've heard it, but it hasn't gone into the heart. It hasn't hasn't even gone into the head at this point in time. In fact, they won't truly understand it until the morning of the resurrection, Easter morning, when he appears to them is when they start to get it. But right now, they're looking after worldly honor, worldly prestige, worldly glory. And they think that's the kind of kingdom that he's going to be, that Jesus is going to bring in. And our world, and sadly, in many of our churches, we have a lot of James and Johns, status seekers, hungry for honor, prestige, worldly glory. But in the kingdom of God world, glory looks very different. In fact, Jesus' glory is most fully revealed when he is nailed on the cross. This amazing generosity of God, this amazing self-giving of God in Jesus Christ, this glory shines forth when Jesus is nailed to the cross. And the road to the cross is a very different direction from the road to success. In the words of Thomas Akempis, The devil is continually tempting us to seek high things, to go after honors, but that's not the way of the cross. Self-seeking, hungering after power have no place in the life of the Christian who follows the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to offer up the greatest sacrifice, his own life, so that we might live. We've been ransomed. We've been bought back. We've been bought out 
of slavery. We've been ransomed from what are the wages of sin, which Paul tells us is death. The wages of sin is death. And Paul says, sin is falling short of the glory of God. Before I became a Christian in my 30s, when people talked about sin, I thought, well, I'm not a sinner. I've not murdered anybody. I haven't done anything really, really bad. Yes, you all know that. We're all sinners, right? None of us have reached to the perfection of God. None of us come anywhere close to the glory of God. And that's the benchmark. So yes, we are all sinners. We all fall short. John makes it quite clear in his first epistle. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. I was truly deceiving myself. But of course, if we don't think we sin, then we certainly have no need for a rescuer for someone who will ransom us out of sin. But John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, Jesus suffered all the sins and sorrows and pain of this fallen world in order to rescue it and us individually. Because God remains committed to this creation and each and every one of you. He is committed to that which he created. His hand has never come off of his creation. He loves it deeply, so deeply that he gave all to bring it out of darkness. 100%. Everything. What percentage are we willing to give back to the one who gave us 100%? See, he knew. It says here he knew all of the darkness, all of the pain, all of the sorrow, all of the suffering of what it is to be fully human. Because he came to be fully human, to know what it is to be us. So wherever you are, whether or not you've got physical pain, if you've got emotional pain, if you've got relational pain, if you've got spiritual pain, wherever you find yourself, he's been there. He knows. It's not that he's a God far off. He's a God who came close. And he took all of that on himself. All of the weight of that on himself. Did he have to? Was there anything that made him? No, that's a gift. It's just a gift. It's just the amazing generosity of God that he keeps giving 
all, a hundred percent, everything, the life of the Son of God to ransom us. See, this wasn't a financial transaction. This day and age, we hear about ransoms. It's always about money. This was much more than that. Our ransom are being brought out of slavery to sin. Our ransoming from sin was at great cost. It was at the cost of the Son of God, God himself, on the cross. Because we certainly had no resources of ourselves, right? There's no way we get ourselves out of sin because sin is in us. And so there's no way we, we can grapple ourselves out from the pit. We don't have those resources. We have nothing in and of ourselves. It required God to become man, to know what it is, to be tempted in every way as we are and yet without sin, to take on himself all of the pains and the burdens of what it is to walk around in these human bodies. It took him and him alone, the only one, the only possible way to ransom us out of the maw of death, to bring us into new life. You were bought at a price, says St. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, You are not your own. See, having been ransomed by Christ, we belong entirely to him. Now, in a consumer society, we might want a really low-cost, high-benefit kind of Christianity. But that's not what Jesus has to offer. It's total commitment. There's a story, an old legend, about a pig and a chicken who were walking through a poverty-stricken area and full of compassion, the chicken said, these people need a good breakfast. Let's give them some ham and eggs. The pig replied, wait a minute. For you to provide eggs would require only compassion. For me to supply ham would require total commitment, total compassion, total commitment is the model we have in Jesus. 100% generosity, everything, absolutely everything. And as ransom people, we're not to be glory hounds, seeking honor, but self-giving servants, which paradoxically, we hear in the gospel actually makes us greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Because when we give it all away, when we become servants of all, when we are truly 100% committed and compassionate, then in God's kingdom, in the heavenly dimension, God looks and honors us. And there are no prerequisites, no formal training required for such service. Martin Luther King puts it this way. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. 
You don't have to know Plato and Aristotle. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Among the followers of Jesus, greatness is measured by the extent to which we are willing to be servants of all, by the extent to which our generosity of spirit in our giving and our serving matches that of the Lord who gave all, who bore our infirmities and who gave all for our ransom. What a glorious Lord to follow. May we do so in great thanksgiving. Amen.